1989, just a year after my wife Cindy and I got married, Cindy and I sensed a call and went on our first short-term missions trip uh, to Ecuador, South America. Our home church then in, in Wilmington, Delaware, was looking to send uh, some people to support one of our missionaries there, and so we traveled over 3,000 miles by air and land to the city of Quito, uh, Ecuador, and, and during our time there, one of the highlights was having dinner with one of the missionaries there by the name of, of Rachel Saint. Uh, if you don't know who Rachel Saint was, she was the sister of the late Nate Saint, who was a missionary, along with Jim Elliott, who were martyred for their faith by the Huarani Indians that they were attempting to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Looked like things were going well. They were making some connection, and then they were killed. They were speared to death. Yet, it was Rachel, Nate's sister, and Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, who returned back to Ecuador to continue on in the mission, in that journey, which led to many of those Indians putting their faith and trust in Christ. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at yet another uh, missionary journey as we continue in the series of the book of Acts. I would encourage you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're going through our series, The Witness of God, a growing church in a groaning world. And I would encourage again you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 43. This is God's holy infallible and life-giving word. I would ask that you please follow along as I read. This is the word of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga... They arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. From a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, 
what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God, to, the, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid among his fathers, and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known that you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking, them, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you that you are in our presence even now. We thank you that you have set aside this day that we may worship and serve you. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would, in fact, help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see and lives and hearts that would be obedient to the words that you give us today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at God's word this morning, we will see that God sends the Apostle Paul and he continues to send people. God sends people still. God sends people like you and like me and like the Apostle Paul. In fact, as we learned from last week from Pastor Mike in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 through 4, that it was the Holy Spirit that called and sent 
Barnabas, and Paul. And God has been calling and sending people ever since. That is how each one of us today has been given the privilege to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone heard and sensed that call to go. Someone shared the gospel with you. And if no one heeded the call and was obedient in sending that, sending that message, we might never have heard that gospel message and had the privilege of responding to Jesus. As we will continue to see throughout the rest of the book of Acts, God would, would continue to send not just Paul, but others to many different places, to different people. It says in verse 13 that Paul and his companions put out to sea in a boat from Paphos and eventually arrived at Pisidian Antioch. While it says that John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Perhaps John didn't sense the call or perhaps John was disobedient and he didn't go. This is going to be brought up later on in the book of Acts, so we're not going to address that today. But for today, we will see that Paul was sent by God and he arrived at a place called Pisidian Antioch. There's all kinds of cities named something Antioch. Uh, they were all named after Antiochus, so you'll see that uh, throughout the book of Acts. It, will, it would have been a potentially dangerous trip for, for Paul and his companions to travel over the Taurus Mountains to Pisidian Antioch because that was in the interior. And we might ask, why did Paul and Barnabas and their group go, or why did they target Pisidian Antioch rather than the more accessible uh, coastal cities. Well, we don't know for sure, but it is said that uh, Pisidian Antioch was a, a very influential city, having a very sizable Jewish community, as well as being a strategic in reaching the interior of Asia Minor, consistent with Paul's desire and priority of re reaching and bringing the gospel first to the Jewish dispersion and then to the Gentiles. Well, speaking of sending missionaries to us strategic area, the history of Crossroads Community Church extends back to 1863 when the members of a church in Philadelphia, Patterson Memorial Church in Philadelphia, began a Sunday school in the rural area. It's hard for you to think about Upper Darby being rural, but the rural area just outside of Philadelphia in Upper Darby meeting in the member's home, and it was led by the Sunday school superintendent, Dr. Edward Anderson. Subsequently, it was moved to the Keystone Schoolhouse in 1883, and then the Anderson Memorial Chapel was built in 1906, at which time the congregation was organized by the Chester Presbytery, and the church was particularized and incorporated in 1908, which we would call our, our birthday for this church. This is a church that has been going on for over 100 years. And people were, were sent to this strategic place right here in the up-and-coming town of Upper Darby to reach the people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And since then, not only have we been reaching people in this community with the gospel, but this church has been sending missionaries all over the world, and now many nations are coming to us right here at Crossroads and in this community. And, and in a sense, it's important for us to understand that every one of us as Christians is in some sense called to be a missionary, whether you're being sent locally or being sent far away. God has strategically placed 
us here in Upper Darby to reach those in our community, to reach our family members, to reach those we go to school with, those we work with, and others. God has allowed us to be a part of his plan of the many ministries that have been going on through the years here at Crossroads Community Church as we proclaim the gospel, not only through Camp Treasure Island, which we are coming up upon soon with Vacation Bible School, but our English, English language learning classes uh, here, our preschool, kids fair, child evangelism fellowship, uh, S3 evangelism, Sunday schools, prayer times, all kinds of ministry goes on and on. The purpose of these has been to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a blessing that God has strategically placed Crossroads Community Church in an area that needs to hear the gospel. And so what I would ask is, is God calling you to be involved or perhaps more involved in one of these vital ministries? I would ask that you contact Pastor Mike, uh, myself, or one of the elders and let us know of your interest in, in serving. Well, God is using people to spread his gospel message of grace. And God used people like Paul to spread that gospel message. We see the Apostle Paul begin his time in Pisidian Antioch by going to a strategic place on a strategic day, the Sabbath day. The Apostle Paul started by going where people had already some type of spiritual interest. And he went to the synagogue, and as a normal part of worship in the synagogue service, they would have had reading from, from the law and the prophets. Uh, and unless someone explained it to them, and God had opened up their eyes to understand what was being read, then they would have no idea that the law and the prophets have found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so Paul was there and was sent to this place. I was at a funeral service uh, some years ago at a Jewish synagogue for a Jewish man who had passed away. And, and during that service, there was a reading of the 23rd Psalm, which is a, a verse, a passage that I would often read myself at a, at a funeral service. The problem was is that the, the rabbi and the Jewish people that were there did not understand that Jesus is the good shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. It was so sad, in fact, being there. They did not understand that Jesus is the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53, whose, whose wounds are healed and whose bore the sins for many. It is so sad. Yet Paul, the Apostle Paul, he is again coming to a Jewish synagogue, speaking to a Jewish people, declaring that it was Jesus who is the one. The Apostle Paul went to the Jewish synagogue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but how would Paul, a guest, have the opportunity to share the gospel in a synagogue? He was merely a guest. But God is sovereign and was able to do amazing things. And so after the reading of the law and the prophets, there was normally a, a message, an explanation of the passage that were read. And it says that the synagogue officials sent to them, Paul and to his companions, saying, Brethren, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, say it. Wow. Here, here Paul's just sitting as a guest, and God is working in this amazing way, and says, Hey, these people are asking you to speak and share. 
First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This is what the Apostle Paul was prepared to do, and this is what we should be prepared to do. We should be prepared to share God's message of hope and grace to others, especially if they're asking us. The Apostle Paul was prepared to share God's message of grace. And when he, when he was asked to share, it says in verse 16 that he stood up and he addressed his hearers with a word of exhortation. This word exhortation is the same word found in Hebrews 13, 22, and it's, a, it's an exposition of the scriptures that was read. It was a sermon that explained the biblical text and relevance to the congregation, much like we do in church today. And although the Apostle Paul had preached sermons before, this is the first sample of Paul's preaching that we have in the Scriptures. It is not his full sermon, of course, but a synopsis. The Apostle addresses his hearers in the synagogues. They would have included the dispersion Jews, those who had left their homeland. It would have included the Gentile proselytes who were converts to Judaism. And it would have also included Gentile God-fearers who were on the outskirts of the Jewish community that we spoke earlier about in the book of Acts. In some ways, Paul's sermon is similar to Peter's sermon at Pentecost, as they were both quoting scriptures such as Psalm 16, and their focus was upon Jesus as the Messiah. The gospel message doesn't change. That's why it's so similar. In verse 17 and following, God used Paul to proclaim and spread his gospel message of grace. After Paul addressed them, he said, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the, in the land of Egypt. The message of the gospel of grace is that first and foremost, God is the one who chooses his people. God chose the Israelites and he is still choosing his children today. The Apostle Paul wrote later on in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4, For he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, his children, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. God, by his loving grace and mercy, chooses his people. Paul first focuses on the things that they would have almost all agreed upon, that God chose the people of Israel in the Old Testament and made them great during their stay in Egypt. Next, Paul proclaims God's grace by stating that God is the one who led his people Israel out of Egypt. In verse 17, it states that it was God who led his people. And after a reading from the law, God would have, uh, Paul would have clearly communicated that it was God who led his people out of slavery in Egypt. God would have led his people by a pillar of fire by night and pillar of cloud by day. And I know if you're like me, you just, you wish God did that today, right? You come on, God, just bring up that pillar of fire and that pillar of, of clouds so that I know exactly where you're leading me and who you're leading me to. But God 
still is leading his people. God led his people then, and he still leads his people today. It's not with that physical pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. It is with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he promised the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, to always be with his people. We have the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us, to comfort us, to correct us, and more. And we have it better. We have it better than the Israelites. We think we, we'd do better if we had that pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. But what did they do? They rebelled and they grumbled. Right? Paul continued to share God's message of grace in verse 18 by telling them that God put up with them in the wilderness. Or is it that he cared for them? God put up with his people in the wilderness or that he cared for them? As we look at this, they seem very distinct, don't they? Did he put up with them or did he care for them? They seem very different. But it says that this word that is used here, uh, the key verb here in verse 18, it varies in the Greek manuscripts. And this change of just a single letter makes the difference between he put up with them or he carried them gently. Well, both are true, right? God certainly did both of those things. It's rather interesting that we have that distinction there. But Paul's emphasis on God's grace in our passage and his other echoes from Deuteronomy probably tips the scales in favor of he carried them gently. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 30 and 31 says, the Lord your God who is going out before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. This is such a beautiful word picture of God the Father gently and lovingly carrying and caring for his children. Yes, God graciously put up with his people like he does today. But perhaps more importantly, Paul's message that day was that, they were, that God was caring for them in a very gentle and loving way. Paul continued to proclaim God's message of grace during declaring that God destroyed his enemies. In verse 19, it says that God destroyed his enemies. This is a, a picture of God's perfect justice over sin and evil. And when it says that he destroyed seven nations, it's almost certainly describing the seven nations uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, in which it says, when the Lord your God is bringing you into the land you are entering to possess and drives you out before many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, the Lord your God will deliver them over to you. This destruction of God's enemies would come into ultimate and perfect fulfillment when Jesus Christ died on the cross to defeat God's enemies of sin, death, and Satan once and for all. Paul continued in his proclamation of God's gospel of grace in verses 20 through 22 by stating that God provided for his people. God provided for his people Israel, and again he continues to provide for his people today. It says in verse 20 that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. He, he reminded them of, of that long stretch in Israel's history where the people of Israel went through many cycles of sinful rebellion and then suffering justly under an enemy and then repenting 
and then God providing them a judge to save them or rescue them from their enemies again and again. And this was a cycle that was repeated over and over through the years. And, and many times we just wonder, why, why didn't the Israelites learn? Why didn't they learn from their rebellious ways? And then, and then the mirror comes up in front of our faces. And we say, why don't I learn from my rebellious ways? We are too, we too fall into those same sinful cycles. In the book of Judges, there is the, the repeated frame which says, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes or everyone did what was fit in their own eyes. Sounds a lot like the world that we're living in today, doesn't it? The Israelites rejected God. These are God's people. And yet they rejected God as their king and they wanted a king just like the rest of the world. Verse 21 says, Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. Doesn't really go into much detail, but God removed Saul because of his sinful rebellion and God raised up David to be their king, who it says was a man after God's own heart. But David himself was not perfect. He was a sinful man, and he was not the promised king. He was not the promised Messiah and Savior. God promised Jesus as our Savior. In verse 23, it says that from the descendants of David, this man, according to the promise, God brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. God promised a Savior who was from the line of King David. God promised this Savior whose name was Jesus. This, this promised Savior was the one whom the prophets spoke of. He is the promised King whose kingdom will never end. And even though the Jews heard about him week after week, they were listening to the word of God being shared in, by the prophets every Sabbath. It says that they did not recognize him as the promised Messiah. They did not know that he was the Savior. They did not understand that he was the King. Even John the Baptist, the last human prophet, was sent by God the prophet to prepare the people for the coming of King Jesus. And yet, they rejected Jesus as the promised Savior, Messiah, and King. God's saving grace is that he has sent his message of salvation. God has sent his saving message of salvation to the world. And this message of salvation was, again, spoken by the prophets. It was spoken by the prophets. And although it was spoken by the prophets in God's holy word, it was rejected by the people. And, and we see the Apostle Paul declare this message of salvation in verses 28 through 31. The, the message of salvation is the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This message of salvation is the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It says in verse 28, And though they found no ground for putting Jesus to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. He had no grounds to be executed, but they, they said, execute him anyway. They found no ground for putting Jesus to death, because why? Because he never, not once, did anything wrong. He never sinned and, in fact, did everything right. He is the perfect and ultimate Lamb of God, spoken of in the Old Testament, without any blemish, 
that is needed for the sacrifice for the sins of many. The message of salvation is that Jesus is the perfect and sinless sacrifice for our sins. It was his death and his death alone on the cross that is able to atone for our sins. Verse 29 tells us that none of us, none of this caught God by surprise. This was all part of God's perfect plan of salvation. Verse 29 says, when they carried out all that was written concerning him, when they carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. This was all part of God's plan and was written and proclaimed by the prophets, including verse 30, which declared that God did not leave him in the tomb. God raised him from the dead. God's saving grace is a message that sin and death have no power over Jesus. Amen? This message of salvation found in Christ alone was being preached by the Apostle Paul that day. Paul said in verses 32 and 33, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That is what Paul was doing. That is what God is wanting to happen throughout the world, the preaching of the good news of the promise. That is why we exist here at Crossroads, not just the preaching, the formal preaching of the word of God from the pulpit, but the declaring of the gospel of Jesus Christ by each and every one of you, the preaching of the good news of the promise. And then Paul shows them from God's word that this message of salvation was fulfilled in the person of Jesus, God the Son. Perhaps referring to the passage that were read earlier, Paul quotes from the second psalm, saying of Jesus, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The gospel of John speaks of the only begotten one. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14, in the beginning was the word, namely Jesus, and that word, Jesus, was with God, and the word, Jesus, was God. And we jump to verse 14, where it says, and the word, Jesus, became flesh. That is when Jesus came to this earth. We celebrate that at Christmas time and dwelt among us, perfectly lived among us, and, and we saw his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God the Son who dwelt among us, who lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. Paul continues and refers yet to another portion of Scripture from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 3, saying, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. It is said that these blessings promised to David are holy because they are bound up with God's Holy One, Jesus, the Savior, whom death could not hold. Paul, speaking of yet another psalm, Psalm 16, verse 10, declares, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This is part of the blessings that King David wrote, that the Apostle Paul was preaching about, and it is the promised blessing for us, the promised blessing of eternal life. Paul then explains that David, as great king as he was, he was not the promised perfect and sinless king that the prophets had proclaimed. David was a mere man who, when he died, he was laid with his fathers in the grave, and his body underwent decay. But Jesus, whom God raised, did not undergo decay. The resurrection of Christ not only benefited 
Jesus himself, but his people. The promised blessings in verse 34 are promised for you, plural. By bringing Christ up from the grave, God secured salvation for each one of us who believe. The good news that Paul was preaching is that forgiveness of sins is secured in Christ. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life is secured in Christ Jesus, in his life, his death, and resurrection. It is not something that we just hope for. It's something we can know and trust in. He has secured these for us. In verses 39 through 41, Paul then urges them with God's serious and stern warning, a serious or stern warning for them to believe. He, he tells them in verse 40 to take heed. He declares God's serious and stern warning to believe and refers to the prophets of Habakkuk and Isaiah. Again, these portions of Scripture may have been read prior to the sermon, and, and Paul uses these. The, the prophetic warning by the prophet Habakkuk was declaring that there was going to be these scoffers who would not believe that Judah was going to be destroyed by the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army. The people of Judah would not repent of their sins. They would not put their trust in the Lord. They didn't believe that this was going to happen, and so God warned them that he was going to judge them, but they did not believe. And this is the stern warning that, that Paul gives here, and it's the stern warning that Habakkuk gave. God's serious and stern warning is for them not to be like the unbelieving scoffers and perish. Paul also referred to the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 29 saying, Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts from me and their reverence from me. And he continues and says, Therefore I will deal marvelously with them. And that's not a good marvelous an amazing way. He said, I'm going to deal with these people. Their wisdom of the wise will perish. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. This is yet another warning against the insincere and false belief of the Israelites. This is the warning that Paul is preaching to his audience that day in our passage, and it is a warning for us as well. The warning is that we should heed the word of God and put our trust in Christ alone and to believe. Don't merely honor God with mere lip service and false belief. How will you respond to God's message of saving grace found in Christ alone? I pray that you would put your trust in him. If you've already been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, then consider further being used by God to share this good news with others. Be reminded of, of how God has graciously saved you and offer to share that wonderful good news with others. Be reminded that there is a dying world around us that needs to hear about God's saving grace. Those who were listening to Paul that day, their response that day was, Paul, 
Paul, you've got to come back and tell us more next week. This is amazing stuff. It's not quite like I just said, but he said, please, God, please, Paul, come back and tell us more. And I pray that you would be hungering for God's word, that you would desire to be under God's word, and that you would desire to put your trust and faith in him alone, that you would seek to be sent by God to be used for his will and his glory. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are not done. You have not given up on your people. You have not given up on those who have yet even heard the gospel. There are so many people out there, Jesus said, the other sheep that have not yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are part of your sheepfold, that we are called to declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we thank you for the Apostle Paul heeding to the call to be sent to, to proclaim the gospel to the people there in Pisidian Antioch. Lord, we thank you that somewhere down the road we had been given that privilege to listen to someone share the gospel to us, whether it was a family member, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, someone at vacation Bible school, whatever it was, we thank you that you've allowed us to hear the gospel. You've allowed us to put our faith and trust in you and you alone. Help us, Lord, to continue to heed that call as well. We would be desiring to be your servants, being willing to be sent. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.